Well, Happy New Year, everyone. How many of you were planning on staying for the Epiphany Feast after service today? Okay, good, good. I think we're good. So, make sure we have enough food. Uh, so, um, those worship songs really set up well every aspect of where the book of Acts takes us this morning. So, I'm grateful, grateful for those who select and let us in those songs. Um, so once a year, maybe every other year, this will happen. I'll get an email from someone here in the con- congregation, and they are pretty alarmed because they have found an article on the internet explaining that the Bible is self-contradictory and completely false. Or the, they have found a post traveling around on social media that says that there are lost books of the Bible which the church has suppressed and hidden for 2,000 years. Um, other times they'll find an article that says that all the books of the Bible were written hundreds of years after Jesus by people claiming to be apostles but whose grandparents could not have actually known Jesus. So folks email me. They're terrified that they have found these articles and they want to know, have I ever heard of this before but worse than that are the folks who leave the church after reading one of those articles and then in a follow-up conversation we find out that they just assumed their faith had been a lie and without ever asking anyone if there might be another answer to these questions they departed yes I've heard of all of these things before Um, The Bible uh, has had opponents since it was first written and before. And uh, these accusations you find online of it being self-contradictory, of the authors not being the authors, of there being hidden books, uh, none of those arguments is less than 100 years old. Uh, Most of those were first put forward in the 1800s. So... Uh, They have been asked, they have been answered many, many times then, but because of viral posting, these old, tired accusations and conspiracy theories can be given new life. Sometimes every five or ten years they'll circulate around. And so Christian apologetics, the practice of making a defense for the reliability of Scripture, when I was in school 15 years ago, they said that was over. Christian apologetics was pointless. There was no reason to do it anymore. Now it's going to make a comeback because the old enemies that created it are being resurrected by social media. Now when it comes to these difficult questions, Lakeland community, I'm learning, is unique because we're not afraid. We're not afraid of questions and we're not afraid of challenges because our faith is true. Providing good answers to these hard questions can only strengthen our faith. We have nothing to hide, nothing to hide from. So if you have questions or you're suspicious about the reliability of scripture, I encourage you to ask. You should ask someone here. The answer, I believe, can only bring you closer to the truth And that can only bring you closer to the God of the Bible, for he is the God of truth. Once, an ever longer time ago, I was trained to be a scientist. And all scientists do is question and verify. And then re-question and re-verify the verifications. Good science works that way. So when it comes to difficult questions, I say, bring it. Bring it. We can only get closer to the truth by seeking the answers. So if you're someone who finds faith difficult, you are in the right community for you.
In fact, I'll go so far as to say I believe it may be God himself who brought specifically you to specifically this place. Because if you look at history, who always makes the toughest, grittiest, uh, strongest servants of God? Former skeptics. Former skeptics. Alistair McGrath, former atheist and communist, now turned to Christ and one of our preeminent Christian theologians. C.S. Lewis, Oxford Dawn, Cambridge professor, atheist who turned to Christ and now I believe is the most quoted author in the English, uh, most quoted Christian author in the English language. And don't forget the Apostle Paul, Jewish rabbi, persecutor of Christians, who turned to Christ and spread the good news across the northern half of the Roman world and wrote the, a big section of our New Testament in the Bible. God loves to transform the heart of a skeptic. And yet the gospel does have some real enemies in the world. Some folks who are writing these books and these blogs and reposting them already know that these arguments have been answered and discredited, but... There is just a lot of money in recycled atheism right now. I saw one author on Amazon offering a Kickstarter that if you will help him raise a few hundred thousand dollars, he will write for you a book proving that the person named Jesus, born in Nazareth, never existed. That he is an entirely fictional character. Even though most historians have discredited that, even atheist historians discredit that the person of Jesus never existed. This guy will write you a book if you'll pay him a few hundred thousand dollars up front, which means he already has his research together. He just wants the money up front because maybe the book isn't going to be as good as he's promising, or else he's just going to make up some stuff once you show him the money and you can add it to your collection of coffee table atheist books. Sometimes an enemy of the gospel is a religion that controls a government tightly. Um, for instance, uh, some governments in the Middle, ne- Middle East, not all, but some literally have laws that you cannot convert away from Islam, the state religion. And if you do, you and possibly your family are subject to execution. They also execute Christian missionaries in those places. That's just power and politics at work to be an enemy of the gospel. And, and then sometimes it's just really crude sin. That opposes the good news of Jesus Christ. That same guy offering to write you books. Proving that Jesus was a fictional character. If you visit his website. There's also a large portion of the website. Dedicated to his favorite hobby. Polyamory. If you don't know what polyamory is. You will in a few minutes. And I suspect all of America will within five years. It's a lifestyle. An alternative lifestyle. In which a group of people form a group love relationship. And they all sleep together. So no wonder this guy hates Christianity, the religion which promotes only sex inside of marriage between one man and one woman. And since that author's wife recently left him, he is very lonely at this time. Enemies of the scripture are nothing new. We find them in Acts chapter 13. We're going to find them. But first I want to start with verse 1, which is actually a a very um, cool verse. 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. So, you know what makes this a great starting verse? 
is that the church in Antioch is racially diverse. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And people from all over the Roman Empire settled there because there was so much work. And so the church there is racially diverse. And you see right here in this verse that they have racially diverse leaders running the church. We have Jews from Palestine. We have folks from Cyprus. We have North Africans. One of them is nicknamed the black guy. You don't, we really don't want to hear how that's pronounced in Greek. Now, there's no, there's no place for nicknames like that in the church today. But the important thing to set, notice is he's a leader. He's a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, a teacher and a prophet. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. There's actually some fascinating things about the other names in that list, which would have just made my sermon longer. So I've given you a little article. There's like some other Bible mysteries those names unravel. Read it after. Okay, let's continue on with verse 2. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for a special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So the power of God is upon the church. They, they can gather together and in fasting and praying, they can hear messages from God and even hear difficult messages. Because this is a difficult message for a church to hear. We want you to take your two founding pastors and send them somewhere else to start other churches. Your two most popular preachers. That It's time for them to go. That would be a difficult message. But they're so in the power of the Spirit through fasting and prayer in their community. They can hear that message and they can obey that message. Because the good news was always meant to be a light to the whole world. So out into the world it's going. First to the island of Cyprus. So they preach all the way across the island of Cyprus. And then trouble. Verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Alemus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. So maybe your first question, my first question was, what is a Jewish sorcerer? I mean, besides David Copperfield. So <laughs> I don't actually know if he's Jewish. Somebody will Google it and tell me. Um, what is a Jewish sorcerer? Okay, so here it is. Although the Old Testament forbids the use of magic, Christ, uh, history clearly records that many Jews dabbled in it anyway. And we know from some Roman writings that Romans considered Jewish magicians to be the most interesting and impressive. So that seems weird to us, but really, it's not that weird. Because in our time, don't we have Christian psychics? Even though the Bible forbids contacting the dead. But yep, they're on Oprah like twice a year. So we get it. Also, Romans were suspicious of magic. But we know from history, and particularly the history of Cyprus, that many Roman governors had magicians in their court as advisors. 
So that seems weird to us that Romans are like, eh, magic. But then every Roman governor like, has a, a magician on staff. But that's not that weird either, right? Because remember, the Nazis were an atheist, uh, secular humanist regime, and yet they were really into the occult. And also, I remember when I was a kid, there was an Episcopalian bishop who had a witch on his staff named Star Fox. I know that's a Nintendo game for those of you who are younger than me. But when I was a kid, that was a witch who worked for an Episcopalian bishop. And she wrote all kinds of books and such. So this is weird, but that was then, this is now, and things haven't changed that much. So this particular sorcerer's name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Now, he's not claiming to be the son of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. This is too early in history for someone to, to claim that and, and expect to get anything from it. It really means that this guy's name was Joshua. In fact, get ready for this. Jesus' name was Joshua. All right, it's time for a side trip into language. So Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua. A lot of you already knew that. Yeshua. Well, if you go from Hebrew to English, Yeshua becomes Joshua. You can almost hear how easy that would be. Yeshua to Joshua in English. But if you go to Greek, Yeshua becomes Yesu. Yeshua becomes Yesu in Greek. And then if you go from Greek to English, Yesu becomes Jesus. So it's all the same name. It's all the same name. So Jesus and the conqueror of the sixth book of the Old Testament have the same name, Yeshua, and it means God save us, an appropriate name. And so Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua is all the same name, just depends on which language you go through to get there. That has nothing to do with the sermon that's entirely free. All right. <laughs> Let's find our way back to Acts chapter 13. So the governor, the proconsul of Cyprus, whom the Bible describes as an intelligent man. He hears that Paul and Barnabas are preaching on his island about Jesus. He invites them, hey, I want to come hear this. What an opportunity for them to get to go uh, preach to the governor of the whole island. But you have this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus. His Greek name is Elimus, which means the sorcerer. Kind of like the edge in you two. All right, so and he's interfering because... Obviously, if this proconsul becomes a Christian, then Elimus the sorcerer is going to be out of a job. So he's an enemy of the good news, presenting evan preventing evangelism of the island's governor. But then something comes over Paul. It is the Holy Spirit. And brace yourself for what happens next. Verse 6. Afterward, they traveled from... I read that. Brace yourself for verse 9. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye and then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be stricken blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer. I'll bet he did. <laughs> for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Well, good grief. That's one way to take care of it. An insult, you son of the devil, perverter of the truth. A curse, you'll be stricken blind. Then it happens. Then a happy ending. The governor becomes a Christian. So you have been present for many teachings from the Bible in which I and other teachers here uh, teach you about Jesus' way 
of nonviolent resistance. This passage is not one of them. And you know what that tells me? That even nonviolence can be an idol. Even something as pure and virtuous as nonviolent resistance derived from the gospel is not the gospel itself. Because Paul is not off the rails here. The same spirit that sent him here is the same spirit that fills him with the power to say to the sorcerer, you're a fraud. You're the son of the devil. You love magic power, do you? Well, here's some magic power that's going to finally get your attention. And bam, he's blind. The one mercy here is that through the Holy Spirit, Paul says, it will only last for a time. He says, you will not see the sunlight for some time. But that is not nonviolent. And that is not passive. Which tells me we are all here to be led by God. And to follow his spirit. And nonviolence is certainly a tactic used by Jesus more than any other. But even Jesus from time to time unleashed blistering insults on enemies. And he once trashed a public marketplace in the temple. Now, before those of us who have never been pacifists cock our guns and go on a rampage, let's study this violence a little more closely and let's note a few key things. Paul does not poke this guy's eyes out himself. You son of the devil. (laughs) Paul does not even pray that the sorcerer will be blinded. The Holy Spirit simply tells Paul to announce what is about to happen. So in this instance, Paul is basically like that off-camera guy on The Price is Right. So you're preventing evangelism, you're dabbling in magic. Paul, tell him what he's won. (laughs) Temporary blindness. That's right, your friends will love leading you around as you understand too late that you can't go around perverting God's truth and leading people astray. And you also get a year's supply of rice-a-roni, the San Francisco treat. And really, let's be honest. In terms of violence, what is being blind for a while if you wind up being able to see the truth about life and about God in the end? Actually, wasn't it Paul himself who was once stricken blind for the exact same reason? A part of me thinks that when that guy was groping around in the throne room, a part of Paul thought, oh, buddy, I do feel your pain. But there may be no better way than for folks like you and I to learn this lesson this way. In my own life, I'm pretty sure that God made it so that I could not get a date for four years in college. I could not attract a girl with bait. (laughs) Because I needed to learn some things about how to be a Christian man. And those lessons came Very slowly. And I did not like this time. But I believe the things I learned there were necessary and I'm grateful for them now. And I'm certainly grateful that five minutes before my senior year ended, God saw fit to make an introduction to the girl who would become my wife of the last 22 years. My point 
Don't make pacifism an idol. Learn to follow the Holy Spirit. And don't make vigilantism and militarism an idol. Learn to follow the Holy Spirit. And don't make argumentative apologetics and defense of the scriptures an idol. Follow the Spirit. And don't make quiet service and hoping that someone will see Jesus in you and ask where that comes from an idol. But follow the Spirit in each moment. It's God's Holy Spirit drawing all people of the world to him through his church. And only the wisdom of the Spirit knows how to get that done for each person and each day. So we should be bold when the Spirit calls us to be bold. And we should be at peace when the Spirit calls us to be at peace. Because if our God is with us, nothing can stand against us. If you go to the island of Cyprus today, it is considered in the top two or three most Christian states in the European Economic Union. When they got their democratic constitution, the first president they elected was also their archbishop. So no sorcery has ever stopped the spread of the good news on the island of Cyprus. That was then, this is now. How will we in Lakeland community in our time in this place deal with enemies of the gospel? First, we don't call everyone who disagrees with us an enemy. It's very popular in our culture right now that anyone disagrees with you about anything, they are your opponent and your enemy. In the Christian church, we cannot do that. Especially because sometimes the enemy of the gospel is your brother-in-law. It's your supervisor at work. It's someone at your school. We can't label people enemy who disagree with us. We pray. If led, we persuade. We always teach, uh, treat with respect. We remember that even the Apostle Paul started out as a persecutor of the church. But we are kind because our God is greater. And if he is for us, then nothing can stop us. So we don't have to get lathered up and label people like we're going to war. Because we already know the victory is sure. That lets us be relaxed. That lets us be kind. Second, if someone is genuinely an enemy of the gospel, they attack us. They lie about us. They imprison our friends in overseas prisons. How do we respond? We go to prayer. We ask for a word from the Holy Spirit to guide us. And we go with openness. Because we aren't strictly pacifists and we aren't strictly militarists. We make ourselves instruments of the Holy Spirit and discern his will as best we can. And I'm talking about the church responding to attacks against Christianity. I can't speak for the American government responding to whatever it might be responding to. We're accountable to these scriptures and to seek the will of this God. It's in our name. Lakeland Community. Just evoking the term community describes us as a people who come together and to pray and to seek. This is one of the things your small group is for. It's small group season signups. This is one of the things your circle of Christian friends is for, that when you encounter difficulties, you go and you pray and you seek God together. Without 
this circle of Christian friends, you and, and I especially, will definitely go off the rails. Definitely, I will misunderstand God and do something regretful. But praying together with other brothers and sisters in community, discerning the will of God, saying what I think I'm hearing, have them affirm or say pray again. We pray together. I've, I've seen that go right so many times. Even kids can figure this out. Seeking God in community when uh, faced with opponents and enemies of the gospel. Here's a story from Tim Wildman retold by Alice Gray. They walked in tandem, each of the 93 students filing into the already crowded auditorium. The rich maroon gowns flowing and the traditional tasseled caps. They looked almost as grown up as they felt. Dads swallowed hard behind broad smiles and moms freely brushed away tears. This class would not pray during the commencement, not by choice, but because of a recent court ruling that prohibited it. The principal and several students were careful to stay within the guidelines allowed by the ruling. They gave inspirational and challenging speeches, but no one mentioned divine guidance and no one asked for blessings on the graduates or their families. The speeches were nice, but they were fairly routine. Until the final speech received a standing ovation. A solitary student walked proudly to the microphone. He stood still and silent for just a moment, and then he delivered his speech. A resounding sneeze. The rest of the students rose immediately to their feet, and in unison they said, God bless you! The audience exploded in applause. The graduating class found a unique way to invoke God's blessing on their future with or without court approval. Mostly what gives us the presence of mind to rely on the spirit in these hostile situations is the knowledge that our God is in control and win or lose in this life. And let's remember the apostle Paul and all of the apostles were eventually executed or exiled. Win or lose in this life, we have great hope. I want to share with you words from another pastor, pastor from China whom we call John. He stood right where I'm standing five years ago, and he shared with us stories about enemies of the gospel. Now this morning, John sits in a Chinese prison, imprisoned for his faith, and I hope that you will be praying for him. But when he speaks on this matter, he knows what he's speaking about. So I thought we'd go back and, and hear some of those words that he shared with us five years ago when he stood in this place. And one time, even the secret policemen sitting uh, in the congregation, they tried to uh, listen to what he was saying and tried to uh, uh, accuse him if he said something wrong. And one time, the secret policeman asked him, he says, do you really believe in that uh, uh, called the miracle healing and God would heal you and all this uh, stuff? He says, you know, I can chop off your arms. Do you think God will bring back your arms? And even we can chop off your head. And uh, this, uh, this pastor said, I'm not sure if my two arms would, would return if you chop them off. But I know for sure if you chop off my head, I would resurrect with my Lord Jesus Christ. Then I will have a new body. Surely I will have two new arms. <laughs> 
And this policeman, he said, "Wow, I see. That's why after all this persecution, you Christians are stubborn, are still there, are still preaching this news." And at the end, one year later, he accepted Christ. If our God is with us, what can stand against us? Another reason that we can afford to be kind and respectful toward enemies of the gospel is that so many of us, not so very long ago, were enemies of the gospel. Some of us used to make fun of God and the people of God. Some of us used to do the opposite of what we knew God called us to do. With reckless abandon, we did stuff. Some of us used to just ignore God, creator of the universe, and we behaved as if he was not there. And then something changed. Something was revealed to us. And we came to see. And so when we see other enemies of the gospel, we remember... It's not so different from that not so long ago. Even this guy who's writing these books saying that Jesus is fiction and trying to spread this free group love thing. There's one way of seeing him as kind of this snarky atheist evangelist, but there's another way of seeing him saying, what if this is just a guy who's so desperate for love? He pushed God out of his life way too early and he's been seeking love and he got married and, and, it, and he didn't find it there because, you know, no spouse can fill the love void that God was supposed to fill. So then he starts seeking love from all these other relationships and and that's not working. And then he lost the one wife that he did have. And and what if this is just someone who's just this close to putting it all aside and feeling the love of God? We, this is how we see people who make themselves enemies of the gospel. You just don't know what God can do. There's been too many characters in history, too many people here in this room Overcome by the love of God and his spirit. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Empowered by those words, may we then go in peace.